Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm your host, Jill Gleba, and we're talking to inspirational, common, and imperfect people just trying their best and trying to gain some uncommon sense. Lynette was raised in Detroit by a single mom and moved to a nicer neighborhood in high school. This move changed her perspective in life. On her own at age 17, Lynette worked hard to support herself, so it took many years to complete her college education. She learned to keep connections and figure out who you know can be extremely valuable. She learned a lesson from one of her favorite books, The Alchemist. The answers you are looking for are all around you. You simply need to be quiet and listen. She did. Let's listen. So we have Lynette Boyle, and she's one of the principals of Beanstalk Real Estate Solutions. And she has pretty interesting story. She did not grow up with any privileges that a lot of people have. And I want you to share your story, Lynette, because a lot of people don't have the best situations and I want them to know that they can overcome these. So I want to welcome you. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It would be nice if you kind of gave us some background and shared where you came from, who you are, whatever you think would be interesting for people to know. Okay. I'm an only child born to a single mom. We moved a lot throughout my life. My mom was a secretary, which you don't hear of anymore. Um, I think she made, at the height of her career, maybe $25,000 a year. That would have been back in like the, you know, the 80s. We just didn't have a lot of money. We never had a lot of money. We had apartments. Sometimes we had a car. Sometimes we didn't. So we took the bus. As a young girl, I went to Detroit Public Schools. Okay, Um, so you grew up in Detroit. I did, um, but I was very focused on learning. I don't know why, but I really liked academics. I liked math. I liked spelling. I won my fifth grade spelling bee. You know, I competed on like these math equations teams as a kid. Um, Didn't have any other family outside of my mom, really. But somehow just plugged along. We ended up moving to Gross Point for me to go to high school and It gave me a very different perspective, right? I was around all these kids with money. Mm -hmm. I never had money. I didn't fit in. I didn't feel like I fit in. I felt like my family was in Detroit. Those were my people, right? And I think the Gross Pointers felt that way about me too. You know, like, who are you? You're not one of us. Felt different. You probably looked a little different. You didn't know their lingo, if you will. And when you were in Detroit... Did you move to an apartment when you went to Gross Point or do you move into a hole? A flat. Yeah, a flat? we lived in a flat in um, the park, Gross Point Park. Okay. With another friend of my mom's and her son, another single mom with her son. So it was a little makeshift family, if you will. Right? Interesting. And you know what I learned, Jill, and I'm sure every client you have that especially that owns a business will tell you it's all about who you know. I ended up becoming friends with a guy named Greg, whose mom was like, I think she was the president of the Gross Point Board of Education. We've kept in touch with those people my whole life. So very helpful. A lot of people took me under their wing. I made friends with people that introduced me to people. Gross Point has an amazing network. So that's the benefit of moving into a community with, you know, really good schools, money, But I'll tell you, after I graduated, I ended up back down living in what was the Cass Corridor at Wayne State. And going to Wayne State, I was very comfortable there. And I had great roommates and had no idea what I was going to do. I paid for all of my college myself. I got a couple of Pell Grants. 
I had moved out at the end of my 17th year in my senior year of high school. So you moved out when you were in high school? Yeah, by the end of my senior year. I want to hear more about if you would have stayed in Detroit and not moved to a different community like Gross Point, it does make it difficult not to have those connections. So do you think things would have been a little differently? Because I grew up in Detroit. I didn't move to a nicer community. And when I first started in business, they said, well, do you have 100 people to call to tell them that you're in business? And I did not. I had nobody I could call. Where I think by moving to Gross Point, and I don't know if your mom did that on purpose so that you would have connections, but to me, that does open doors. That's actually very good advice that I didn't want to just gleam over. But here's my question. What's the difference in attitudes when you're in Detroit versus meeting people in Gross Point? How were your friends and kids different? I think my friends in Detroit were much more earthy, warm, uh, more family-ish, you know, very folksy. I just, I still love Detroit. I've owned a house in Detroit for 10 years. I manage real estate. Most of my real estate that I manage is in Detroit. My business is based in Detroit. I don't know why, like, that's my home. Detroit will always be home for me. Me too. Um, Gross Point, ironically, of course, I live in Gross Point because now I have a son that I want to have that education and those connections. But what I will say from a financial perspective is getting into Gross Point gave me perspective of how the business and financial world works, how to leverage your education, network, connect, how would it have been different had I not moved to Gross Point? I don't know. I cannot say that I still wouldn't have made it, but I will certainly say it gave me five rungs up the ladder quickly moving to Gross Point. My education just excelled. I did go to Wayne State, which is in Detroit. Um, I loved it. Yep. I loved Wayne State. But Jill, it really came down to you got to want it. I mean, there were plenty of kids in Gross Point that I went to high school with that didn't make it. They were heirs to a lot of money and blew it. No motivation. They weren't hungry. They didn't have that drive that maybe their parents did. So again, I feel like because I came from nothing and realized this was an opportunity, I grabbed it. And I worked really, really hard. Um, I Again, I worked my way through college. I didn't finish college until I was almost 42. And I was pregnant finishing college with my first baby. I was married. But I went all along a little bit at a time and my career had just taken off. Where were you working? Started out, um, I had cold called an engineering firm and said, I really want to learn computer graphics. I started doing computer graphics um, with General Motors and an engineering firm for a year. Didn't love it, but it gave me a ton of background on where that was when the apples were first coming out, the Macintosh. Mm. And then you kind of hop around and end up where you're supposed to be sometimes, right? Yep. So I called about an ad for a receptionist in an office building downtown. And I thought, well, I'll do this for a minute while I go to school full time. And I loved it. I was at the One Kennedy Square building with a company called Kirko. And I've never left real estate since. And now my partner and I own our own real estate company, you know, 40 years later, 30 years later. And we love it. So. I'm glad you didn't fall into, well, people in Detroit are folksy and they're my friends. And I belong to Detroit too, like you. My heart's in Detroit. So I'm an example that you don't need connections, but it sure does help. So I guess my point is, 
You're grateful for the connections. You don't know how Detroit would have turned out. But here's the point. People listening, if they are not lucky enough to find those connections, you could always find them later in life, right? When you think of all the different jobs you had, and I know you're a person, you keep in touch with everybody. And that helps too, because you never know who other people know, which is kind of cool. That's why I invited you on the show also is, if you don't mind sharing what it was like, I worked full-time while I went to Wayne State. So I went to school full-time and worked full-time. So you did the same thing. Yep. How did you manage to pay your bills and live where you did and all that good stuff? How did that work out? You know, you have to remember, they call your job work for a reason. So I worked really hard. I had roommates. You know, I didn't go out and buy the big house and spend a ton of money on clothes. I had a beater of a car. I would go to school at night. We lived on ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese in college, right? Me too. You know, you you learn to make it work. I lived with two guys in college. We were just platonic, but, you know, it was like a little frat house. And then by the time I was 26, and I was still going to school and working, but I decided, why am I renting? Why am I not buying a little house? It was when the market crashed to a degree, and I bought a little house in Detroit over by Gross Point for $28,000. That is a ton of work. But I that's what I did for a living. I was in real estate, so I was able to get people I knew to, you know, hey, I found some carpet remnants that were the wrong color, the wrong dye lot. So I got carpet for a discount. I had a, a painting party, and all my friends came and helped me paint. I just slowly worked on that house over 10 years. I ended up selling it for $108,000 and got the deposit yes. for my next house, right? The problem is when people want to do everything right now, and you can't. You have to yeah. take your time and do it as you can afford to do it. And then one of the best things was meeting Joe Gleba, who said, hey, let's talk about what you're doing with your buckets of money. You know, you need an emergency fund. When I got married, you need a college fund for the baby. You need some of your money out of this old 401k and put it into a Roth. And you got me thinking about better ways to monetize the money I had and make it work for me so that I wasn't just sort of not having a plan. When you don't have a plan, nothing happens. And you start to learn what your compartments are. So if someone asks you, gee, what's important to you? What's going to happen this year? And you start writing. I I just had um, somebody we met with, but they had many, many, like six, seven items coming up, weddings, trips, uh, big anniversaries, et cetera. So they had a lot of money they need to leave in cash. The later money, people think about college, buying a car, things like that. And then retirement, the main thing I'm going to say only because you brought it up is, you know, your 401k is not a savings account. It's an account that's going to replace your income one day. So you got to leave it alone. Right. But I think the exercise of someone asking you, well, what's important to you in life? And you start compartmentizing, well, I want this and I want that. It does motivate you without anyone telling you, you've got to save money. Like you don't have to do that with people. People right. will save for whatever's important to them. But I really, honestly, I didn't want this really to be about me or us. It's really more about you have a company that is very successful and you liked real estate from the beginning. Um, Do you mind? I'm going to mention you worked for Dan Gilbert and you worked so hard. I remember you said you would get calls at two in the morning, four in the morning, and you had to take care of things. And you have a son that you're raising. I think that you were like, this is great. I love this company. 
You spoke very highly of the company, but you were like, okay, I can't keep doing this. It's too much. I can't do this and be a mom. And so you kind of reprioritized, right? Correct. Correct. So it was weird. I, uh, back in 2011, I was working, managing a big portfolio that was going through some financial trouble, like so many commercial properties were. And I thought, what am I going to do? And this has been my whole life. I got a call. Somebody called me and said, you know, my boss is starting a company with Dan Gilbert called Bedrock. They need a property manager. Would you be interested? Perfect timing. Maybe. And so I was employee number seven at Bedrock. We didn't have a clue. We had no systems in place. We, were, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. We're just building a company and started wow. buying buildings very quickly. And Jill, it was so much fun. And I will tell you, Dan had a great ism that said, you know, don't chase the money. Let the money chase you. Period. Money never leads. It follows. I did what I loved doing. Like, I love managing real estate. I love it. It's creative. I get my degree in interdisciplinary studies, which was perfect because I have to look at the legal aspects, the sociological aspects, architecture, engineering, design, utilities. I work with utility brokers on how to buy electric and gas for the buildings. I work with lawyers on the leases and the legal contracts. So I get to touch everything. I write summaries, so I have to be a good writer. I do a ton of math. So it was passion that drove that company. Bedrock was amazing. And here's a compliment. You are all over the place. So that's perfect for you. Yeah. Because it keeps your attention, keeps you interested. So if you're passionate about something, you get what I'm saying. You have talents in a lot of different things. And I don't think you wanted to just hone in and focus on one aspect. So that's perfect for you. It is. It's perfect. Everyone that gets into our business has to be multifaceted. You just have to. You have to be able to spin on a dime, you know. But yes, it got to a point where I was putting in a lot of hours and my family said, hey, we don't think you can do both. And what I realized after about four years with Bedrock was they were right. I had taken it to a level that it needed to get to. And now I needed to pass the baton because otherwise it was going to require more and more and more of my time. And you will hear people say, well, they work you to death at Bedrock and they don't. First of all, I got paid really, really well for what I did. Working there allowed me to suck a ton of money away into my 401k. Um, We paid off our house. Someone like me, to be able to do that is amazing. I remember my mom not even having the money to pay the rent half the time. So the fact that I was able to do this and my husband was able to do this, we were like, this is amazing. So now we take our money and we're cons- we still live conservatively. We didn't go out and buy a big house. We don't buy brand new cars. We buy cars that are a couple of years old. I still have that mentality of, I don't need to live high on the hog. You know, I need to have comfortable life. I went through the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program a couple of years ago. And the first question they asked me was, what's your end game? Mm. Kind of like what you're asking your clients, mm-hmm. like, how did you get here? If you know your end game, you make decisions that are going to get you to that end game. Buying a big, huge house right now is not going to get me to that end game. Spending money lavishly is not going to get me to that end game. I don't want to work till I'm 70. At least I don't want to have to work till I'm 70. If I want to, that's different. But I want to know that if something happens and I want to move away or we want to retire early or something happens, we can do that. So all of our decisions are based on that. 
And let's stay on that for a minute because I'm the same way. I think people equate success with the nicer car, nicer homes and everything. And it's interesting. Most people that have money are not show-offs at all. In fact, they don't want to announce they have a lot of money. And I want people to kind of realize this, that you don't need to be proven anything to anybody. You need to just stay in your lane. Lavish things are nice. Everybody likes nice things. Let's not deny that. Right. You're right. It's not going to get you to your end game. And you could have a bunch of nice things your whole life and not be able to retire. And that would be sad to me. Right. So, or how about, how about this, Jill? How about all those beautiful, expensive clothes you end up buying? But what do you end up wearing every day? That same old pair of jeans and T-shirt that you always wore. And you say, why am I spending money on stuff that I'm not even going to use? And and I want to point out, I'm the same as you also. I had this conversation with someone else and I said, you know, it seems easier for those of us that grew up modestly. We can save money easier because our expectations are lower. We don't need a whole lot of stuff. If you grow up with the finer things in life and that's what you're used to, that's what you're going to go after. So it's There's a little bit of a mindset going on here, I think. And actually, that's the whole reason I'm doing this podcast is I want people to get the mindset that they can do what's important to them. What do they value? And that's what you go after. So you're right. That Goldman Sachs was a great tool for you. I think you're a very organized person. You work harder than anybody I know. I would challenge anybody there's a lot of hard workers Thank out there, but I challenge anybody that works harder. But I want to also point out, it's, this is kind of out of left field, but when I look at Detroit, because you and I both loved Detroit, we grew up in Detroit, and I've known over the years business owners that would start a business in Detroit and the neighborhood did not take off because it's only one business. So the one thing I want to acknowledge is I love that Dan Gilbert bought many, many dozens and dozens of properties over a period of time. I think you said once it was something like 27 properties in two years. It was quite a few. Wasn't that much, but a lot. Yeah, it actually might have been. Don't quote me on it. I'm just ballparking. But the idea is he had the means to buy many properties. And that's what got the neighborhood taking off. And then I know that he had a bonus for the employees, I think, after you left. But for people to move back to Detroit, if they were employees of his, he gave them money toward a home to move back to Detroit. And he really helped us with our recovery. He oh my gosh. He's, get his he's, due. he's my hero. He will always be mm-hmm. my hero. I mean, mm-hmm. I was telling someone the other day, no matter what happens in Detroit, and since the pandemic, it is quiet down here. There's no question. But I look around at all these majestic, I call them the monster buildings, right? The big high rises. He was someone who finally invested the money to fix the bones, the mechanical systems, put new roofs on these buildings, the stuff that most developers didn't want to spend money on for years. They just wanted to put, you know, lipstick on it. Dan renovated these buildings and he did it the right way with the right team. We are the beneficiaries of all of that. And I think it's heartbreaking that he's had to go through the health issues he has and suffer some of the losses he has. I will forever remember everything he did and the passion that he infused in us was just, it was unbelievable. The passion was unbelievable. I agree. I give him credit. I felt sad because he got, it was at the Detroit Golf Club and he he got a tournament there. Shame on me for not knowing the name. But, you know, he got sick right before that and he worked on that for years and years and years and finally brought it to Detroit. And then what do you know? One other thing real quick. Um, Since Crystal and I started, my partner Crystal Rapoon and I started Beanstalk back in 2016, the beginning 
One of the things that motivated us in starting this, Jill, was some of the things we've been talking about, which was giving people a place to work where they could work through their passions, but have that work-life balance. What's really occurred to us is back to that same ism. We don't chase the money. Right. And we've done better year over year over year. And most of our clients are nonprofits, which I find interesting. We didn't set out for it to be that way. But we managed, you know, the Mary Grove campus for the Kresge Foundation. We managed That's beautiful. Samar- yeah, the Samaritan Center for Sarah Metro and Holy Cross in a very underserved community. We have the Guardian Building, which we manage for Wayne County. But again, all of these are nonprofits that I think a lot of companies wouldn't necessarily go after for clients. And we've done really well and we've done well for our clients. We just started into the multifamily sector of the business about two years ago, and it's really done well. But again, it goes back to we're not trying to grow quickly. We grow in little increments so that we can keep the quality of our work culture, spend money and time with our team to make sure they have the resources and training they need, be able to give them the flexibility. A lot of them have little kids. They couldn't get daycare during the pandemic. We've figured out how to do office flex with them, even though they need to be on site. We've, you know, trained all of our team to help each other. So to us, that's way more important than making millions and millions of dollars. And by doing that, the money's coming. So it's crazy. I'm with you on that. I don't want my staff working hours and hours and hours and being away from their family. And same thing. I think there's a lot of small businesses that do focus on giving their employees a good quality of life. I think we're out there. People don't hear of it maybe enough, but we're out there. We do care about our employees. And it's funny when you take care of your employees and they know you care about them, they give you their best. (laughs) And so it, it kind of, does a circle there. Um, yep. I think the same thing about marriage, actually, which sounds silly, but if you're always worrying about what's best for your spouse and they're always worrying about what's best for you, it seems to work out okay. You yeah, know, 100% yeah. agree. What's interesting is, and I want you to share the story, is you're working for Dan Gilbert and you said, I'm going to start my own company. And how did you know Crystal? And you both said, okay, here we go. Well, the <laughs> universe has a way so first of all, one of my employees picked my name at Bedrock. She picked my name for the grab bag, right? For Christmas, we had to pick up someone needed to buy a secret Santa. And she bought me a book by Paolo Coelho called The Alchemist. And I went, what the heck is this book? But I had read something else he wrote. So I was like, okay. So I read it. And basically it said, the answers you're looking for are all around you. Just got to be quiet. And I read the book and it, that's when it occurred to me, it's time to go. So the hard part was letting my team at Bedrock know that it's time for me to move on. I need to take a sabbatical and figure out what I'm going to do. At the same time, an attorney I knew for years and years and years introduced me to his significant other, Crystal Rapoon, who was a real estate lawyer and a broker and worked for a big real estate firm, but was also going through a what's my next move moment, right? Like I'm not loving what I'm doing. So her and I started talking about forming a company of our own, but we didn't even know each other. We didn't even know each other, Jill, which now I think was perfect. So I agree. Let me just throw this in there. I'm ironing in my basement one night and my old boss who owned the Buell building calls me and says, what would it take to get you to come back and manage the Buell building? And I said, hmm, I want to start a company and I have a feeling Bedrock is going to end up buying the Buell building. 
So pay me a salary until they buy the building so that I can start this business. And he said, you've got a deal. So wow. it allowed me. And again, this comes back to keeping in touch with your old bosses, keeping those connections, never leave a job on bad terms. You know, how did you know the guy? How did you know him? He was my old boss. I managed oh the Buell building for him when I was younger before I even got married. That's how I met my husband. But we kept in touch all these years. I always keep in touch with old bosses, old coworkers, because you never know when we're going to pop up in each other's lives again. Wow. So the universe conspired and said, you are going to start this business. Here's Crystal, your partner. Here's your old boss who's going to help fund it, basically. And it couldn't have worked out better. Crystal and I have been together seven years. So just to make it interesting, Jill, a year ago, Crystal had to ha she had complete kidney failure and had to have a kidney replacement. And she had to have it very, very quickly. Um, and we worked through it. And our team rallied around her. And she is now nine months in and doing fantastic. You know, we have had to have headbutting sessions, but we did. We treat it like a marriage, like you would with a spouse. You got to be respectful. Yep. Say what you need, say what you want, try to find a solution. And I'm telling you, for her and I, it's a match made in heaven. Wow. And we're very different. We don't like socialize outside of work much. You know, she's a Republican. I'm a Democrat. We're just very, you know what I mean? But we get along great. It's all about being respectful, right? You do match well, I must say. Yeah. And your values are the same, but you're very different people in my opinion. Yep. yep. So that's so, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's funny how the universe, if you just... Follow the alchemy, pulls together all the right pieces, but you have to be ready for it, open to it, and pay attention, right? I find it interesting because my daughter, Michelle, interned with you, loved you to death. Aww. And she, that's your favorite book. Oh, it, isn't that funny? That's it's interesting. So you both were kind of on the same page as far as, it's a very good book. Your Come daughter, like me, ended up doing something completely different than what her degree was in, right? She did. She loved real estate. She was in real yep. estate for about eight years. But I think that after a while, she said, this just isn't for me. Right. You got to listen to that voice. Very hard. And I'll acknowledge this, too. It's very hard for we had a young man in an earlier podcast um, and he talks about he had his dream job and he was miserable and he took a huge, huge pay cut to do something else. Okay. And it all turned out just fine. But you, Michelle, and this young man, John, and I think it's everybody, it's very difficult to make that right turn and do something completely different. That's right. very hard for people to take that step. And I think a lot of people just stay in a miserable job and their fear keeps them from trying something new. Um, I agree. Like we said earlier, it's like a marriage, right? You mm -hmm. have to put the work in it. And if something's not working, you can't just let it go down a bad path. Got to make a change. Yep. And I don't want to tell people what to do. But honestly, I feel like if you're a really good worker and you're valuable to any company, you can always find a job. Right. So why not pursue what will make you happy? Correct. I mean, you do have the ability. And I think people have attitudes that their boss has all the power. In many cases, yes, they pay you the paycheck, but you have the power to make choices that will be good for you. You know, yeah. and you have the ability, same thing with COVID. I have two employees that have young children and we had a chat and I said, listen, 
um, as long as you get your work done, just let me know when you're not at work during hours. And it's funny because I was home one day with my husband and it was probably 8.30 at night and I got a phone call and I said, oh, got to take this. Took the call, came back and my husband's like, why are they calling you at 8.30 at night? I said, because they took off today from 12 to 4 and they decided instead to work from 4 to 8 or what have you because him and his wife are taking turns working. Yeah, they had to do what they had to do. So this is interesting. So you and I, we both, Worked, paid for our own college, grew up in Detroit, didn't really have any advantages. Nope. Um, you do acknowledge that it was nice to go to a high school to get some connections. Yep. One thing you are is you're always, and I am the same way, you keep connected with people you never know. And don't always take, you give. That's important too. And you now have this real estate firm that's doing very well. You have very nice employees. I know that. Thank you. Any maybe last advice or just stories that you want to share to help people realize they can do this? Yeah, I really am a big proponent of faith. I'm not a religious person at all, but I have a lot of faith. And I think balance is important. Getting alone, getting quiet. I had a boyfriend when I was really young who said I would never marry a woman who's never lived by herself. And I went, what? And once I lived by myself for a few years, I kind of understood what he meant. The most important thing is your relationship with you. So you got to get at peace with your internal world and the rest will come, right? You'll hear the voice inside. You'll start to be able to read the world better. I do believe that we have to cultivate the soul for the external world to come together on some level. And I think that's one of the things that we're missing as a society right now. You know, religion used to take care of that for different people. I think you don't have to have a religion, but you have to have some way to cultivate that inner world, that interior world that helps you strive for balance, um, listen to your soul's code, and be true to yourself. And like you said, Jill, if you're not in the right boat, get out of the boat, make the change, have some courage, have some faith, try something different. And I just feel like there's no shortcuts in life. It's going to be work. It just is. Someone else said, if it grows too quickly, it's a weed. That's a good right? Habit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't feel solid either. It's right. not on solid ground. You know, I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to say here we're on a podcast, but I'll say this. I always have a podcast when I'm going for a walk and someone told me you should go for walks with nothing, no podcasts, no company, and just be with yourself. Yeah. And they were right. You do have to do that because you got to spend the time to figure out what am I doing? And am I happy? Am I doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we don't even know when we're unhappy, do we? We just keep plugging along. We're so busy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Actually, you just made a good point. I think people just get up, they're habitual, and they're not thinking about what could be. Right. And you did that. You figured out what could be and you jumped around and figured it out. And I love that. I love that. Thank you. That's you why I had you. And because we're native Detroiters, I like that we are showing people that, you know, a lot of us here for the everyday person, they could accomplish things and it might take hopping around and figuring it out. And that's okay. Yeah. You got to give it that's away perfect. to keep it too. I, th- I love what you said, Jill. You got to give it away to keep it. You can't just Yes, take. you do. Yep. When I meet people, I always think about who could I introduce them to? What can I do to help them? And I'm not thinking about what could I take from them. And believe me, those of you out there that are takers, we all know it. So it's not a good thing. Amen. It's not a good thing. Amen. 
Before I say thank you, do you have anything that we didn't cover maybe? No, I think we're doing great. I just want to say that I really appreciate the time. And I think what you're doing with this podcast is great. People do need to hear these stories, especially young people. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for contributing. Thanks for sharing. That's really nice of you. I appreciate that. So let's all just keep trying our best, right? You got it. Thanks for listening to Uncommon Sense. I'm Jill Gleba. For more stories and all the financial knowledge you wish somebody had taught you, you can find my book, Uncommon Sense, at jillgleba.com. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.